Welcome to the Unleash Your Inner Bold podcast. Get ready to learn new ways to think differently about growth, leadership, and your brain. I'm your host, Barbara Gustafson. Let's get started. Recently, I had the pleasure of interviewing Tana Amen, a neurosurgical ICU trauma nurse and vice president of Amen Clinics, and she's also the wife of Dr. Daniel Amen, who's a well-known brain health specialist, and she's written multiple books and is on a mission to equip others to become brain warriors. And in the spring of 2021, Tana and Dr. Amen, they launched their first brain health license trainer program. And this program was really designed for people to go out into their community and educate them on brain health. And this includes uh, materials for organizations, churches, schools, hospitals, and it really is intended to elevate their leadership by taking better care of their brain. And when they do this, it boosts their focus, their productivity, they're more fulfilled, resilient, and even more improved decision-making skills. So I'm honored to be one of their instructors for this program. And what I do is I walk the students through the content so they feel more confident and equipped to go to organizations and spread this message of brain health. So today I'm going to share an excerpt of a session Tana did for our students. And I'm excited because I can share a portion of this with you today. And it revolves around the topic of trauma. And I especially appreciated how she was willing to share her personal story of how trauma affected her childhood, and how it might be affecting us or those that we're around without us even knowing it. So kick back, grab a cup of coffee or whatever you like to drink and enjoy. So Tana Amen is a neurosurgical ICU nurse trauma nurse and vice president of Amen Clinics. And she's a New York Times bestselling author of books like The Omni Diet and her most recent book, The Relentless Courage of a Scared Child. And I love her subtitle. It's how persistence, grit, and faith created a reluctant healer. And so in this particular book, which I can't wait for her to share more about, Tana shares about overcoming her own traumatic past and how it made her a champion for others in need of healing and hope. She's also a highly respected health and fitness expert, cancer survivor, and nationally renowned speaker. And I had the pleasure of spending some time with Tana and her husband, Dr. Daniel Amen, at a leadership conference. It's been already, I think, a couple years ago, maybe a little bit longer. She was still writing her book at the time. I remember she was sharing that with me. And during the conference was where she and Dr. Amen realized that brain health courses could tie in beautifully with coaching and leadership training. And of course, you're the very first group to be certified brain health trainers because of that dream that she and Dr. Amen had. So Tana, we're honored you're here with us. We appreciate your time. We know you're not just a busy entrepreneur, you're also a mom that probably wears a gazillion hats. So thanks for carving out the time for us. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah. So just briefly, tell us how you're doing, how Dr. Ammon's doing in your family. So I don't want to dig too deep into that only because I will start to cry. Um, I dropped my daughter off at college and um, it was hard, harder than I thought. And so um, I'm super happy for her. She's amazing. She's doing well, 
but I, I struggled. So I've really been digging into this idea of grief and, and how it connects to our past and how we attach to people. Um, so that's the honest truth, but our family's doing fantastic. Um, everybody's healthy and happy. And that's, what's so weird about empty nest syndrome is that you didn't actually lose someone. You just lost their presence in your life, you know? And so, um, it's, it's an interesting, interesting thing. Yes. I've been through one, one he's way, you know, out of the house and actually married now. And I still have one at home. Uh, it hit a little bit hard the first time, but I know it's going to hit really hard with that last one. So I feel, yeah. yeah, yes. My daughter and I were connected. We've just been connected at the hip for oh, so okay. long. So yeah, we're that just like, difference too. yeah, Daniel always says his saying now is he's like, I went from being Avis to Hertz. I went from being number two to number one because as long mm. as she was here, you know, she was, you know, we were just always just attached. So yeah. Wow. Well, if you could tell us what life was like for you as a child and perhaps a bit of your personal story and maybe how trauma showed up in your life. So it's really interesting when you, I think for a lot of people, if there's anyone on this call right now or on zoom right now who grew up with childhood trauma, you don't always know, like it doesn't, it's just sort of your normal, you know, something's not right, but it's sort of your normal. So I just thought I was garden variety dysfunctional. I thought like, doesn't everybody have some of this going on? Um, I didn't really understand. I mean, as I got older, I kind of knew, okay, I'm embarrassed by some of the things in my family. So I don't want to have people over. I knew some of the things weren't normal, but I don't think I understood the, the magnitude. I still don't think I always understand the magnitude of some of it. Um, people will look at me with, you know, shock and I'm like, okay, it's not that big of a deal. Um, but it is kind of a big deal. And we want to be able to open up those discussions because it comes out in other ways. So my early childhood memories, um, I actually don't have any good childhood memories. I finally remembered a few as I was writing my book and that was made me really happy because as I was really digging in, I'm like, oh, I actually had like, you know, two or three really good memories I could remember from my childhood. But those early memories were hard. You know, at two years old, I was left alone. Everyone forgot me and I almost, you know, I almost drowned in a pool. My, I was saved by my dog, uh, my German shepherd and who was able to get the attention of someone. Um, my uncle was murdered when I was four. And I should add, my mother was a 16 year old runaway who lived on the streets when she left home. So she grew up in trauma. So she really tried to get her life together and make my life better than hers, which she did, but she was never home. She was always working. And she left me alone with my heroin addict uncle a lot of times. And so, and because of him, my other uncle was murdered. And then there was just more things that happened. I was molested when I was 12 because she had a bad picker. <laughs> my mother did not pick men very well. Um, and so some of those things that affect you and you go into your teens. And so now your self-esteem is really affected. And I developed an eating disorder, um, had a really hard time. I just really struggled through my teen years. And then um, finally in my early 20s, I'm like, okay, I'm getting it together, right? High school's in my rearview mirror, getting life together. Finally feel like I have things going the direction I want them to go. In fact, um, this is talk about a, a very odd dichotomy. I was tested for Playboy magazine, not something I would do now, but something I did then. Um, and it was accepted. And within, it was, I believe it was in less than two weeks, I got a call from my doctor um, for a checkup I'd had saying I had cancer. And so it was this crazy whirlwind that I went on and it sent me into a deep depression, uh, multiple surgeries, radiation treatments, you know, things you would go through with cancer and it kept coming back. So, um, that depression 
was wicked. It was worse than the cancer itself. So I really have a lot of empathy for people struggling with depression. It's, it's a pain you cannot get away from. So, um, yeah. And then I think, you know, I started to turn things around and it's when you start to, to get well and you start to figure th- life out, it doesn't just get better. It's, it's this up and down, but, but it begins to get better over time. And the downs don't seem quite as low or as impossible to overcome. Yeah. Wow. Can you share some of the signs of trauma just because I I've worked with people, not with their trauma specifically, but I've worked with clients who've had trauma who didn't even realize it. And I've experienced childhood trauma and I didn't even know it. So can you share some of the signs that people may not know about? And, and also maybe some specific things that you use to work through your own trauma? Oh, absolutely. So I think some of the obvious ones are like shock, denial, anger, um, irritability, depression, anxiety. Um, those are some of the obvious ones that like low self-esteem is a big one. They'll lead to some of these other things like low self-esteem, um, which can lead to, to dangerous behaviors like self-harm. So a lot of, you'll see people who cut themselves or, um, engage, you know, become addicted to substances or in my case, develop an eating disorder. Um, so self-harming behaviors, um, almost as a way to release the anxiety. And so at least for me, that's what it was. It was, it was a combination of the low self-esteem, but also a way to release the anxiety, but that can really affect your relationships over time. I mean, it's, it's, this has an impact on how you interact with the world on your, you know, your achievements and, and relationships and what you accomplish and how you feel about yourself. Yes, absolutely. Wow. Wow. So do you have a favorite, um, not that it's fun favorite, but something that was really effective with you starting the process of releasing trauma, or did you have someone help you through that process? So I, I think the first thing is you have to recognize it. I was the queen of denial. As long as I accomplished enough, had the right hair, the right makeup. I mean, just, just the fact that I would test for playboy would tell you what my values were at the time. Um, so if I had the right hair, the right makeup, the right facade, um, so I'd built this wall so nobody could see through it. And if I could do enough of that and accomplish enough. And, um, so over time, after I sort of dug myself out of the depression, I began this next phase of my life, which was accomplishing, just accomplishing as much as I can. And I thought that that was going to be what would protect me in a weird way, protect me from anyone seeing the truth. And so I didn't recognize it. I think the first thing you have to do is recognize that, that, there's trauma. I just, you know, it's like, you know, it's there, but you don't really see it. You don't really recognize it. It's in the back. It's like background noise. And so when I remember when I first met Daniel and we were dating and, um, he would, he's curious, he loves stories. He's curious. And he would ask me things about my life. And I would tell him some of the things about my childhood, which to me, I was just, I was mentioning as though I went to summer camp, you know? So, and he was like, what, what, you know, he was sort of shocked by it. And he was like that. And when you shock a psychiatrist, that's not a good thing. So, um, because I was so, I was so nonchalant in how I mentioned some of these things. And he was like, wow. He's like, did you ever put together the fact that your uncle was murdered when you were four? And then two weeks later, you were in the hospital getting upper and lower GIs, like gastrointestinal studies for, you know, because I was having severe stomach issues and digestive issues. I'm like, no, those are not connected. I was absolutely in denial. And I'm like, don't, don't shrink me. Don't, I don't want to hear psychobabble. I was absolutely like in denial about this whole thing. So you have to recognize it. And then my first um, gift from Daniel, 
was 10 sessions of EMDR. Now, I'm not sure that I would give that as a gift to someone. <laughs> but when I um, finally did acknowledge it, and I thought, you know, I'll try it because I'd been so opposed to therapy for so long. And I, I had family members who were hurt by psychiatrists. I write a lot about this in my book. I had family members who were hurt by traditional psychiatry, including myself, put on a wrong medication that almost ruined my life. Um, it was the wrong medication for me. I don't, you know, I don't think medications are the problem. I think not using the right medication for the right person at the right time is, is a problem. Um, the indiscriminate use of it. So I was very adamantly against it, but when I finally did engage with EMDR, that's what worked for me. I love EMDR. I movement desensitization and reprocessing. Um, it really helped me. It was the first time I ever recognized, wow. Like I actually have been through a lot, but I'm kind of a badass. So I was able to reprocess that and able to sort of reframe the whole thing. Um, and it's, it was super helpful. I mean, I can't recommend it enough. Yeah. It, it's a very powerful tool. Actually, that's a question we often get in our groups. What is EMDR? Just because he mentions it, he splashes it here and there. Could you touch a little bit more on it and, and just maybe. Yeah. I'm probably not going like to do it justice because I'm not a therapist and I'm not a psychiatrist, but it's a type of therapy where you recall a traumatic event and it does not just for trauma it's for other things as well but it's most known for trauma um so you recall a negative event and then the they will either tap there's a tapping method or they'll what i did was the eye movement they'll move their finger or a little wand or something back and forth and you follow the wand and it seemed so odd to me i'm like this is so ridiculous when i was first doing it um, but what happens is as you're recalling that event and the eye movement helps you to reprocess. It helps actually the brain to start to reprocess where trauma is stuck. And if I try to go too deep into this, I'm going to totally mess it up. So I'm going to leave it very superficial in my explanation. No, that was great. Yeah. I'm used to like, mine was like a light on either side and my eyes had to follow right. each way. Um, but you explained it beautifully. It, it's a very powerful tool. So you're recalling it. You're recalling this negative event. You're you're focusing on it and, you, and you're beginning to, to reprocess this. And then a really skilled therapist will help you replace that with what you want instead. And so as you begin to reprocess that and it, it loses its power, it's like, what would you like to have instead? And so, you know, we learn these skills when we're four, five, nine, 12, that we learn to survive and they worked then but they're not working when you're 45, right? So, so let's replace those with what you want instead with something more empowering. And I just found it, and it was like a sweater unraveling. There were things attached to that one, to that one um, initial thought that I didn't even realize were attached, like they're connected. And so you begin to unravel all of this and it just like, it's so freeing. Yes. Wow. And it's interesting how you can get to a certain age, but then you circle all the way back to solve mm -hmm. something that happened a long time ago. So let yeah. me ask, was it difficult to write your book? Like, was there a part of you that was uh, maybe hesitant on getting your story out or were you so ready by that point? <laughs> I fought Daniel. Daniel was encouraging me to write this book for a long time. I fought him for the long, I'm like, this is not number one, I'm garden variety dysfunctional. Why does my story matter? Like there's so many people who have worse stories. I wasn't chained to a radiator as a child. Like I would compare myself, another sign of trauma. You compare yourself in order to survive it. You will compare yourself and minimize what you've been through because it's how you survive, right? So mine wasn't as bad as someone else's. Um, and I told myself that for so long. I'm like, why would I write this book? Like, who cares? Who cares that, you know, um, 
my uncle was murdered when I was four. Lots of people have bad things happen to them. Um, so I just, I really tried to, I, in my own mind, minimized it, but he kept encouraging me to write it. He's like, no, yours wasn't garden variety. I think, I think there's a lot here that could really help people. Um, number one, I wanted to wait till my daughter was old enough to, to understand. Cause I mean, she was going to learn a lot of stuff. Um, and yeah, I had to really be ready because dealing with your own trauma is different than sharing it with the world. Dealing with your own trauma is very different than, than deciding I, you know, I was fine with the fact that I had dealt with it. I was a different person by this point, but why do I need to tell everybody this? So I had to really like do work on myself and decide, is there a reason for me to do this? And if there is, is it, is it a good reason? And am I okay with it? Mm. And I'm actually going to pause and pop to a question that our member has, because it ties directly to that. And they were talking about, they said, I'm struggling with fear and letting go of old trauma from childhood. I know my story could potentially encourage others, but I'm fearful of being vulnerable. What can mm -hmm. I do to start releasing that fear? Um, so I would, I mean, again, I'm not a shrink and I would talk to somebody. I'm not a psychiatrist or a therapist. I would talk to someone who's professional, but I know for me, when I was fearful of letting go of certain um, things from the past that were not helpful to me, it's because there was something about it that I was benefiting from. There was some secondary gain to it. Somehow it was protecting me. Mm. So, or at least I thought it was. So it's like, if I can't let something go that is harmful to me or that's not healthy for me or is not optimal, then it's because there's some secondary gain to it if I'm not willing to face that. So I think that's one thing to address. I think the other thing is um, being vulnerable you know, I think that you, there are things in my book that are not in there. So I took baby steps to be vulnerable. I took baby step, steps to like, okay, I'm going to share this much. And then I'll share a little more and I'll see how it's received until I felt safe enough. And I was careful who I shared that with. I think it's okay to be discerning about who you want to share things with until you're ready or if you're ever ready. Um, so taking those baby steps is important. And it's, I was at that event with you, the same event where you were talking about in the introduction, when I made the final decision, I was writing my book. I still had not sold it and I wasn't sure I wanted to. And so I was like, I don't know. I had a deal on the table and I wasn't sure that I'm like, why do I need to do this? Why do I need people to know all of this about me? And a woman came up to me. She was, um, I believe she was from Nigeria. Um, she came up to me and my husband is surrounded by people getting signing his books. And I'm used to this. And I'm like standing to the side and I'm like waiting for him. And um, this woman comes up to me and she's like, oh, I'm so happy you're here. I was, I was hoping you'd be here. I'm like, oh yeah, if you want Daniel to sign your book. And she's like, no, you. I'm like me, like, that's weird. Um, so I said, why, why? And she said, because I listen to your podcast. I read your blog. I, I literally have read and listened to everything that you've put out because, and then she starts crying. And she said, if you can do it, I can do it. And I pray every day that God will do for my life, what he's done for yours. And that's when I knew, okay, I'm, I'm ready for this because even if I get criticized, it doesn't matter. Even if I get criticism from people, it's not going to matter. That's, that was my purpose right there. Wow. That's really cool. So have you seen, I'm sure you've seen in the last year and a half trauma come up even more. What I, what I'm noticing, I, I see a lot of people not talking or saying what you said, people have it worse off than I do. But I'm wondering if there's something that we can do to help. Maybe we're not qualified to work with the trauma, but perhaps some resources when people are open that we can share with them. 
Um, yeah. So if you're talking about coaching clients, mm-hmm. um, I think it, you guys already know how to do this, but listening is so important. If you're not qualified to treat someone, listen and ask questions, right? So yes. questions are often the answer. So just understanding where they're coming for coming from, and then obviously having really strong referral sources. So knowing when to send them to a professional um, is just, it's critically important. And this time has been um, you know, so traumatic for, I mean, just spanning the generations. So, and one thing I, it's, it's really easy to try and judge trauma or judge grief. We can't judge trauma and you can't judge grief. So it's happening to you for a reason. And what might not seem very significant to you that someone else is going through to them is devastating. So just not judging it, just listening, being curious, asking questions and knowing when to refer them is just so important. But don't tell them, oh, it's all going to be okay, or it's, you know, this is happening for a reason, <laughs> um, wrong mm-hmm. things to say, oh, yes. you know, or, and definitely don't tell them, you know, um, you know, there are so many, you're so blessed, so many other people have it worse off than you do. Those things yeah. might be true, but they're not helpful. <laughs> so. Absolutely. Now I've heard you talk before how sometimes our trauma is not really our trauma, like it didn't mm-hmm. originate with us. Can you share more about that? Oh, that was so fascinating to me when I started to learn about epigenetics Mm. um, and how, you know, generational trauma is a real thing. What, what your grandparents or even great grandparents went through um, can really affect you. So my grandmother um, was born in what is now Lebanon, but she went through the war and she went through a great famine and she was severely traumatized. I mean, severely traumatized and never received help for that. Instead, she was diagnosed with mental illness, but she was so severely traumatized. She couldn't watch television without crying and she became a hoarder. And so she would hoard things and she would never throw away old um, tinfoil and she wouldn't throw away like butter dishes. And um, she was just, she kept a ration card on her dresser. And so, because so many people she loved died during the great famine. And during that time, during one of the raids, um, she ended up running into the hills by herself, five years old, got lost and was three days by herself. She had long hair. It was really cold and her hair froze. She almost died of hypothermia. By the time they found her, they had to shave her hair off. And she went through all these traumas. So what's interesting is I didn't know a lot of those things till I was an adult, but I noticed that there are certain things that I do. My husband pointed this out to me. He's like, do you realize you're a prepper? And we live in like a lovely community with, you know, this guard at the gate. Why do you prep like for the end of the world, for the zombie apocalypse? And I'm like, I don't know. Like, it's so, so interesting. Right. So we started to put this together, but I grew up with sort of seeing her trauma and that really affected me. Mm, Yeah. Well, um, just a little side note, Dr. Eamon has told us that about you, but he's also said he's grateful that you're prepper, especially this past year. Oh, he used to give me so much grief. And he's like, why do we spend so much money on this nonsense? We're never going to use. And I told him when, when the pandemic happened and I had everything, I'm like, you can either say thank you, or I'm going to say, I told you so for the rest of your life into the afterlife. (laughs) Good for you. (laughs) That's wonderful. Yeah. Okay. Wow. So tell us a little bit more what it's like being married to Dr. Amen, just because we have some couples that work together or considering working, you know, with a spouse or partner, what advice would you give? And what is it like for you? So he's a powerful guy. 
But I will say one thing about Daniel is when you hear him speaking, when you see him on video, he is who he, he's very authentic. So it's like living with him is the same as what you see, except he's a little goofier at home. So he's silly and he's goofy. And, you know, um, so that's the only, I think, real difference. Um, I think it's really important to understand and, and give each other the respect that there are some things I know he needs to control. It's just, it's the nature of his business and who he is and what his mission is. I'm a very strong individual, but I'm smart enough to realize I don't need to control that, that I need to let him control that. And I have enough trust in him. And that's one of the reasons it was so important for me to do work on myself, because if you don't trust, you can't do that. Mm -hmm. Um, so I had to have trust in him to let him handle certain things and likewise, vice versa. He's great about saying, I don't need to, I don't need to control that. I don't need to be in charge of that. And so we're really good about talking about it when it feels like we're starting to step on each other's toes, we step back and we talk about it. And it's like, you know, who really is this more important to (laughs) let them, let that person take the reins. Yeah, that's, and I have to share with you one time I was watching you two on brain health warrior. I could have sworn you kicked him under the table. Oh, I do. I okay. him a lot. And he always, he accuses me of wearing pointy shoes. He's like, why do women wear pointy shoes? <laughs> That's great. Because looking from a distance, because I see you do work together, but you also have your own gig. And I think that is so awesome that you respect each other enough to let you work in your own areas of brilliance too. Absolutely. And he knows there are some things that are just, we're really good. Like I said, about communicating, there are some things that are non-negotiable for me. Like Mm -hmm. I'm security oriented at home. That's non-negotiable. And he understands that. So we're not going to fight over it. He's just going to, okay, honey. Um, Or, you know, that's just an example, but we're very good about, um, we trust each other enough to, to let each other have certain topics or issues or, you know, things that we're working on. It's like, you take that one. Yeah. Like you take the lead on that. Wow. But it doesn't mean we don't give our opinions. We do. We're both very strong individuals. I love it. I love it. Well, we just so appreciate you sharing with us and those listening. Think about one thing that spoke to you the most that Tana shared or something else that triggered you and and spend some time pausing and reflecting on that, what that means for you. Uh, Just because we can listen and hear great information, but if we don't do anything with it. it. It's really pointless, but we so appreciate you sharing a piece of you today. And we thank you for all the wonderful content that you've allowed us to use and, and work. And we, we just love you. Well, we love you guys and we love what you're doing. And so it's really important to us. So I appreciate you guys. And I thank you for letting me join your stage today. Absolutely. Absolutely.